Hello and welcome to Memoirs of Successful Women. I'm Annie Gibbons, founder and CEO of Women's Biz Global, and I invite you to kick off your heels, get comfortable, and be ready to receive the golden nuggets that are shared as you listen in to candid conversations I have with fascinating women from around the globe. Business leaders, entrepreneurs, humanitarians, athletes, and a whole lot of regular people. They will keep you riveted as they let their guard down and open up on aspects of their business and life journey, how they measure success and what they have learned along the way. My intent is that our conversations will inspire you to embrace opportunities and possibilities beyond the limits of your imagination because I know that this is where we reclaim our power. I want you to reclaim your power, your strength and vulnerability to stand in your truth and propel yourself towards the life that you dream to live. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Women's Biz Global Podcast, Memoirs of Successful Women. I am your host, Annie Gibbons, and today I am absolutely thrilled to introduce to you our guest, the incredible Chrissy Kane. She hails from Britain. She's not only just a professional singer, but she's also a seasoned performance coach with an impressive track record spanning over 45 years in the entertainment industry. Chrissy's story is nothing short of remarkable. She's been signed to three international recording companies in far-flung places like South Africa, Italy and America, carving out a long and incredible successful career but showing no signs of slowing down. So what's more, she's added a new new dimension to her already impressive portfolio by coaching highly qualified professionals from various fields, including doctors, authors, speakers, and more, helping them conquer their stage fright and performance anxiety. So fasten your seatbelts, my friends, as we delve into the fascinating, fascinating world of Chrissy Kane, where her musical prowess meets the art of coaching and where every stage is a canvas for transformation. Welcome to the program, Chrissy. Thank you, Annie. What a lovely introduction. Thank you very much. It is such a joy to have you on my program, and I would love to kick it off by asking you to share some memorable moments from your incredible 45-year journey in the entertainment industry. What are the highlights that stand out for you most? Well, there <laughs> 45 years, there is a lot to call on. But some of the things that have been the biggest moments of my career are, I don't know uh, if anyone will remember him. It's such a long time ago, and we sadly lost him last year. Demis Roussos was very big in every way, every sense of the word, a Greek international star. And uh, I was working in Paris when I bumped into one of his um, staff, like crew, who said, why don't you come and attend our auditions? And I did. I got the job. And then I toured the world with Demis for three years. I was featured female singer, traveled all over the world first class. I was 21 years old, did my first TV appearance with him. And uh, that was absolutely a highlight. We stayed friends for the rest of, well, his life and for the rest of my career. And other than that, when I went to South Africa, I had the very great 
privilege of being on stage with Nelson Mandela. At one point, we were um, doing the 13th International AIDS Conference, which was being transmitted live from Durban. And in front of me in the audience were 63 heads of state from world, uh, worldwide countries. And uh, President Mandela came onto the stage and spoke to us all. That was amazing. And then once again, uh, moving from uh, it, from South Africa to Italy, I uh, was chosen to do the Richard Rogers Centenary Concert at the Villa Ruffalo Classical Gardens, where I sang with a 72-piece orchestra. That's the first time I've sang with an orchestra of that size, and it was an absolutely incredible, unforgettable experience. So, yeah, one from each country, really. <laughs> How phenomenal. And at such a young age, you must have just been pinching yourself going, is this seriously happening? Like yeah. that's a dream come true for most professionals at like the end of their career. But to be at that age, were you so yeah. young that you just went, oh, well, this is just the way it is? Or were you it aware is. at that time of this is seriously a moment in history that I, I cannot believe I'm having? <laughs> I didn't know it was a moment in history and being 21, of course, you know, you're full of, of bluster at that age. And I just thought this is how working in the entertainment industry at that level was. It was a big shock, of course, when that came to an end and the rest of my career didn't quite live up to that because Demis was a massive international star and we would fly into countries and not even need to clear customs. They would come to the plane and collect us in Rolls Royces and take us back to the hotel and everything. So, yeah, it's been all downhill since then. But, yeah, that was <laughs> that was absolutely amazing. I didn't manage a private jet after him but uh, yeah that was it was a phenomenal time of my life yeah that went on for three years he would just call me and be like cooking something at home and the phone would ring and he would say I'm sending you a ticket uh, the courier will arrive with your ticket you need to be in Switzerland tomorrow we're doing a tv show and I would just go off for the day do a tv show come come back and carry on looking after my son and the house and it was like just seemed normal to me at that at that age it's crazy, isn't it? And it introduces you to this other world, which they, they, when you get into that world, they're actually just normal people doing their own life and, and, and you suddenly realise just, you know, that it's they're having the opportunity to be famous and for all the amazing things that they do. But the basics are all the same. They're just yeah. you know, wanting to have the right people around them, share their experiences. Mm. Absolutely phenomenal. Wow. Talk about being at risk of peaking too early. <laughs> exactly. 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 Talking about trying to get back there again for the rest of your career. The thought of you meeting and performing with um, Nelson Mandela, oh, my goodness, you've just stopped me in my tracks because um, yeah, it was, that was outstanding. And that feeling yeah. of singing when you've got an orchestra like that, I mean, that's something that you see on incredible productions where you've got these huge orchestras behind you and to be able to sing in that environment, you must just feel like you're floating on air. Well, once you've overcome the fear, yeah, it's it's like looking back, you feel like you were floating on air because um, if, if anyone that is listening today would like to see that venue is called Villa Ruffalo, that's R-U-F-O-L-O, and it's a classical music gardens where um, Wagner wrote the Parsifal suite of classical music there at that um, 
villa and then they open that as classical music gardens if you look at that behind you they put a transparent screen up behind the stage and you can see the whole of the amalfi coast behind you so it looks like you're suspended in on in in air really so yeah talking about floating on air that's exactly what it felt like but at the time when i actually did my run through I was so scared. It's like you, there's no room to make any mistake. And at that second, you've got to call upon every ounce of strength that you, that you have ever learned to overcome the fear. Because if you make one mistake, 72 musicians behind you will just carry on without you or they will go wrong too. Luckily, there were no mistakes. I did it and it was absolutely wonderful. In fact, we got three encores at the end. And on that night, sadly, I remember looking up into the top row and I saw all red lights, which being having done a lot of TV, I assumed were cameras, but nobody recorded. So I actually, we didn't, we didn't record everything then like we do now. I'm talking, it's more than 20 years ago. And we didn't, wasn't with everyone with a phone in their pocket with the facility to record. And nobody recorded that. So I actually don't have that. Such a shame. <laughs> it's just recorded in your mind. Oh, that is such a shame. Yeah. That is such a shame. But the signs of the yeah. times, I know I often think I'd love a picture of a certain moment, but we weren't all we weren't all in that space years ago, were we? No, not at all. In fact, thankfully, actually, I, I hear a lot of people say that often. Thank goodness my every moment wasn't recorded. <laughs> How do you ever grow? How do you make a mistake? <laughs> Stage fright might have actually then truly paralysed you. So uh, yeah. it can be an advantage. So transforming from an incredibly successful singing career to becoming a performance coach is quite a unique path really uh, because, you're, yeah, it, it doesn't mean that you're automatically going to be able to coach others. So what inspired no. you to make that shift and how has it Well, it's, yeah, it's not really been so, so much of a shift because I, I do still perform. It's been a case of... I'm, I'm a very open and friendly and giving person by nature. And if I see somebody struggling with something, it's my nature to try to help them. So I realized that during my career, I was helping a lot of people and I was putting them in touch with the right people. I was giving people tips. I was giving vocal health tips. I was doing a lot of things that and helping people to memorize their lyrics because I have a, a method of doing that as well. And I would help people with harmonies and help people work out where they were having a problem with timing, etc. And a lot of people said to me during my uh, heavily performing uh, career years, they would say, you're a really good teacher. Why don't you do this professionally? So it kind of just took over really, although it's it's running parallel. So it's something that I've always done. And I've actually decided to make this into a business now because of course, at my age, I do perform less. I'm very much more in control of what I do. I don't have to just take everything and, and even things that you don't like, you do sometimes. I've got to the stage where I don't do that anymore. I'm a bit more choosy and it's meant that I can work with other people and expand my scope of what as well because some of the people that are coming to me are not from the entertainment industry. I've worked with highly specialized medical professionals and um, authors that need to take to the stage to promote their book. Well, of course, they're a brilliant author 
but that doesn't mean that they're a public speaker. It doesn't mean that they can get on stage and speak to an audience and sell themselves and put themselves over properly. So I've been helping a lot of people from many different walks of life. And uh, yeah, because it takes hours and hours, then I've turned that into uh, a second string of income for myself. So that's how it's gone. How wonderful. I know, therefore, you were meant to be. It was meant to be. Yeah, yeah. You've been signed to international recording companies, and I mentioned before, South Africa, Italy, America. So how did these diverse experiences shape your musical style and career trajectory? Yeah, um, very much so, because um, when I got to South Africa, I didn't understand. Obviously, I knew what apartheid was. But once again, I was very young when I went to live in South Africa. I was 24 when I arrived there. And I didn't understand the implications of being singing what was essentially English music and where our competition was, was the rest of the English-speaking world. Whereas other artists within South Africa that sing either in an indigenous language or, or in Afrikaans even, have got a captive built-in audience there. Because if a guy wants to hear an album in Zulu, he's only going to be buying music possibly from South Africa. Of course, a lot of people have gone out now and they're making um, music in other countries. But at that time, uh, in the early 80s, uh, I didn't realise that the budgets that South African record companies were able to allocate to their artists were a tiny, tiny percentage compared to the people who were my um, competition, like Madonna and Celine Dion, those kind of people. And uh, therefore, that, that kept me tied into a, a recording contract for a while that I felt didn't allow me the freedom and certainly didn't result in sales, not for the record company and not for myself, because they knew they will only spend this because the return is this. So it's all down to what it, it's business. After all, a record company is a business. They don't spend all this money on you and then say well that's for you you get nothing until they have taken all their money back again so I, that the first recording contract which was emi actually it was a massive big international uh, recording company that was a big crash course for me i learned about the recording industry during my first recording contract However, the second one, when I um, met a couple of DJs in Italy, I'd been performing on a cruise ship and I'd spoken to a couple of DJs who said, let's get you in the studio. We want to do some recordings with you. And uh, it was at the time when they would use a sample of music from uh, another established song and they would mix that in like a mashup, they call it now. And uh, we had everything ready to go with this song that we thought was going to be amazing. And then we found out that the original piece of music that uh, we had chosen had just been given the rights in the UK actually for a telecoms company and they were using that for their TV advert so they couldn't give us the rights to that we had to start all over again and that was a different kind of recording contract it wasn't your traditional one that like I'd had in South Africa where you sign a physical contract and the record company control everything this was far more of an input from all of us so the two DJs and myself we got this together and they took it to uh, Midem, which is the International Music Festival. And that was picked up by then Richard Branson's company, V2. And that went global. It was a big dance hit all over the world. Now, that would sound like I have made an awful lot of money from having a big international hit. It's still available. That track is called Step Into the Rhythm. And the name they gave our artist, which was myself and the DJs, was Clippers with a K, Clippers. So if you look for Clippers, Step Into the Rhythm, it's 
still out now. Uh, very annoying because um, we still can't say who, and it still is an ongoing legal battle, that uh, somebody set up another account to collect royalties on my behalf. Only they got them and I never did. So that's the second recording contract that didn't make big money for me. Oh, my goodness. That is just yeah. horrendous. Well, yeah. so much of what you've shared. First of all, that you do all of this work and you actually get it after everybody else has been paid. That's the harsh reality that most people would just have no idea of. You would expect to be rolling in it. And two, yeah. <laughs> you know, getting the royalties and not you are uh, isn't that fraudulent? Can't you just? It is. Yeah, 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 it is. But as I say, um, there are books and there are um, papers and there are legal documents and everything that come out regularly about how the internet has shifted the music industry. And it's so changing so quickly that people can't keep on top of it. I mean, you literally can put out a song today. I put that on the internet and send it to my friend or I want to test the water and see what somebody thinks. But why would anybody want to pay for something that they've just got for free? So yeah. it's it's like, imagine if I was a car manufacturer, for example, and I made my vehicle and I popped it outside on my forecourt and I said, come and drive my car and everything. And everybody just drove off with them. And I had to keep putting another one out there for somebody to try. It's the same. It's theft. But yes, it's so big, so massive and so international that they can't keep on top of it. And it's not only me, it's happening to millions of artists all over the world. Yeah, such an eye-opener. Let's change tack. <laughs> Coaching highly qualified professionals from various sectors. You mentioned before you've got doctors and authors and, and speakers and people who need to overcome stage fright and performance anxiety. It must be a really fascinating world. So can you tell us more about your coaching approach and what you find the most rewarding thing about this kind of work? Mm -hmm. Well, definitely to, to go backwards, uh, the most rewarding is when you have prepared something for, with someone for a specific uh, event, like a, let's say a, an interview, and then they come back to you and say, thank you so much, I got the job. I mean, that is just awesome. Because uh, I was working with a lovely lady and her first language isn't English, but she's working in the UK. And um, she was going for a a very highly qualified position within a hospital. She was going to be the cardiac um, specialist, but registrar of the hospital. So she needed to be able to sit in front of a panel of English speaking people who would be firing questions at her. And she needed to present herself and she's not speaking her own language. So she literally needed to put herself over. And she said she clams up because she's very lucky that she looks way younger than she actually is. And she said that's actually a bit of a, a downside for her because people tend not to trust her because they think she isn't as qualified as she actually is. Yeah. So you've first got to work on building up someone's positioning so that they trust themselves to be able to do and deliver all this that they need to say about themselves. It's difficult for a lot of people to speak well about themselves. We kind of cringe a little bit when people speak well about us and say, oh, thank you. <laughs> but, but really, we have, to be, we have to be able to say, yes, I did do that. Thank you. I've worked very hard. So first of all, it's working on someone's self-esteem. And then it's building their confidence. And then it's repetition 
tell me what you're going to say. And, that, and when she starts, uh, uh, um, 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 it's teaching someone not to take those breaks that make you look completely unprepared. Those are the biggest things I would say to anyone. So it's repetition, repetition, and then looking back and critiquing what you have done and me being able to give my input in a way that's not criticizing, but it's drawing out a better performance for you for you to deliver a better performance when you get there. And that's that, that's what I've done with her. She got the job. That's that's amazing. Um, other people that I've spoken to who have written books, brilliant author, wonderful story of, of overcoming adversity in her life. But when she gets on the stage, I can see the thought process that she goes up into her own head. In fact, I even see it with the eyes, the eyes of the window to the soul. And when you're speaking and you're able to express and you make a connection, I know then that you're speaking to me. But when I see people flickering the eyes around, I know they're searching for something then. Be a bit more concentrated in what you are delivering. Don't be fragmented. Speak about one thing at a time. When you finish that subject, close it and move on to the next. Because whilst you are searching for something to say and wanting something to say all the time, it becomes very fragmented. So it's 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 deep. It's kind of psychology as well as coaching. And then we move on to performance. Wow. What a joy to watch that progress as well. And yeah, I've got a, yeah. people used to say to me, practice makes perfect, you know, and I used to go, no, it doesn't. It makes permanent. Permanently <laughs> practice. So therefore, yeah. that, you know, you want to know, is that permanence where you're wanting to be? So one, you need to practice. It doesn't happen overnight. And then mm. two, when you're practicing, it's so wonderful to have a coach who actually then helps you while you're practicing, refine, 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 so that yeah. practice does make perfect you can actually yeah. turn up i just i just up. smile when i see them when i see them and they have been like and and then towards the end of the course i actually see them delivering in a minute i just smile oh. because i just think they there you are and give them a round of applause sometimes <laughs> and say that's the one do that do that <laughs> you nailed it keep doing that yeah yeah so in this ever-changing entertainment industry, which is changing so rapidly all the time, what advice do you then give to aspiring artists looking to navigate their way to success? Because it's a different journey, right? It's a different path. Given the, your past experience and your success and then also adapting that to a future journey, it's a real challenge. Yeah, it is. I've had to try to stay ahead of everything. And luckily for me, my, my daughter is 30 now and she followed me into the entertainment industry. In fact, from two years old, she actually said to me, Mommy, I want to do what you do. I want to be a dancer that sings. I said, no, darling, you need to be a singer that dances because that gives you a longer career. And that's exactly what she is. And she's very, very successful. And having her helps me because although she learned a lot from me I also take a lot from her because I see how what the differences are how she negotiates things now it's not the way that I used to do things so I've got a little bit of insider knowledge that I'm very very proud and pleased to have with my daughter and um I try to stay abreast of things by um, being relevant with what's happening in our industry from a legal standpoint as well, in so much as I've just become a representative for equity, which is our British Actors Equity Union, because um, 
actors and entertainers. There's a variety branch of the actors which covers singers, dancers, um, magicians, that kind of thing, in with classical acting, which is what Equity was really built originally built for that purpose. They um, they now are having to accept that a lot of people are not classically trained and that the big stars are the ones that can make a video in their bedroom. Look what we are doing today. Who would have imagined a few years ago that we would have this capability? You would have had to have gone to a studio and recorded and edited and sent this to me and I would have answered and sent back to you. So technology has changed everything and it means that a kid making videos in his bedroom can literally become an overnight sensation and they do all the time. Now, what that does in some respect is it lessens the professionalism because people are starting to do things for free that they should have been paid for and it also means that employers expect that they can find people who will work without compensation so there's a big big to do at the moment about the use of ai because obviously script writers in fact in america they've been on strike recently because of the use of ai because you can just ask a couple of questions pop that in and a script will come back up so that's taking work away from people who have trained i know we need to incorporate technology but there must be some legislation and so I'm standing for council for equity as well, because I need to look at that side from my own point of view, just what happened to me and how I was robbed of all my royalties makes me very, very aware of how people can exploit what you do. And if you don't have everything, all the I's dotted and all the T's crossed, you can end up making no money while somebody who didn't do any of the work makes a lot of money. And that's just unfair, unacceptable. It's completely unacceptable, definitely unfair, and uh, we need to be really acutely aware of yeah all of those the behind the scenes things, your infrastructure of your company, what you're signing for, where potential breaches are. There's there's yeah. huge amounts of of risk there, which you've obviously personally um, suffered the consequences of, and I'm sure it happens all time, and particularly yeah. for as well because often they're the people who are the creative ones they're hoping the business side of things just works itself out because they're so <laughs> focused on their art and that can even make it an, an increased risk big like mistake to make yeah i mean the, there are two words there show business and the show is one thing and the business is the other and i mean like a perfect example of, of my era would have been madonna she was the absolute master of manipulation knowing how to best place herself to get the maximum impact beyond beyonce jay-z all of these people and yet sadly we hear stories every day about people who feel that they weren't paid properly for what they have done every day Incredible. So it's it's the the you you need to be a jack of all trades and you need to be really good at all of those trades. It's not just getting on. Sometimes the very last thing I had to think about was what my performance would be like. I knew that was there. I knew there was no problem with that. And switch on the lights on and the voices there. Thank you, Lord. And that's that's how it's been. But the the business side of things, sourcing the clients because I had my own production company for years, sourcing the clients invoicing coming in on their budget giving them something that they want and that's it's all and then getting your money at the end sometimes you would do all of this and not having been paid until they had sold the tickets and then bring the money in and everything I remember one night in Italy literally waiting at the side of the stage because the promoter wouldn't let me go up and sing until we'd had all the money for the evening because once you've done the performance there's nothing to repossess you can't go and take it back like a vehicle or something you've done it 
then if some, somebody doesn't pay you, you're not getting paid. And that's that's how it is. So there's a, such a lot to learn and to know. But moving into the other areas with the other people who are outside of entertainment has also been an eye-opener because I, I've learned a lot. I've learned a lot about process of doing things that are completely outside my my area in fact i'm just uh, writing my first uh, book of children's stories uh, which are in rhyming form um, speaking to the lady that is the the author i may even self-publish i know that's an area of expertise for you as well annie i might speak to you about that and i want to make them available both as a book that you can read and as downloads who would have thought that we would have that tech kind of technology available to us so that children can read the book and listen to me speaking it for them with all the voices of the characters and see the characters there, not just something to listen to. So that's where the two things were, are going to work really well together. So just need a publisher for that now and get that Oh, out. well, you've been to the right place because I am a publisher. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, read, I read that about you. <laughs> we would be very happy to look after you there. So what is the, what's the future then? So for, for Chrissy Kane, you're now going to become an author uh, and you are still loving, um, still dabbling in your singing plus coaching others. Yeah. What else is in your horizon? Uh, well, I, I think I, uh, <laughs> I've i got a lot of things that I would have liked to have done if I'd had another life, I think. I love property developing. That's my big passion, taking an old rundown property and bringing that back to life. And, and it can be very rewarding. I love seeing it restored again and it looking the way it should. Of course, that's uh, all up in the air because of the interest rates and people are not finding that they can get loans, etc. at the moment until our worldwide governments sort out this financial crisis that we seem to be having following COVID. So yeah, I'll carry on doing a little bit more of that. I'm actually in the UK at the moment. In this house I'm speaking to you from today is my daughter's home. And I have a home a little bit further north outside of London. But my main home now is with my partner on the Amalfi Coast. Um, Alessandro is a classical guitarist and singer himself. But he also owns a beautiful restaurant that looks over the, the uh, sea. And uh, I spend a lot of my time there there and I can do my coaching from anywhere wherever I can switch my laptop on now I can do my coaching and we do perform together unfortunately with a coastal place it closes at a certain time of the year but that gives us a little bit more free time to do what we want so it works very well so I will be traveling doing what I love visiting family here visiting family back in Italy speaking and making new contacts writing uh, we're still writing songs and we work with several other artists as well we might go to northern europe to work with one of the artists that we've been producing for over the last few years and actually he wants to he was sending us his songs in kind of poem form and we turn them into songs for him they're very folky um it's uh, norway that he comes from so it's a fishing town and that kind of music like folky music and he would like us to go out there the musicians that have been used on the studio album to go and perform those in a live setting so we might end up going to norway uh, this winter so yeah lot, lots and lots on the horizon always busy and always looking to expand oh it's a great it's an exciting stage of life when you can actually get that balance and to be able to travel more have the flexibility uh to be able to work on your laptop like i do it is a great blessing and we really yeah. appreciate it 
it just gives you so much flexibility and yeah. uh, you know, very, very rewarding. It's still great to still get out and do some gigs as well as coaching others. Uh, and we might see you on Grand Designs maybe one day. You never know. Yeah, <laughs> you know. You know. <laughs> not, not taking on anything of that stature yet, but the, uh, never say never. Say never. <laughs> so I would love to close now by asking you, you know, this, this podcast is called Memoirs of Successful Women. How do you measure your success? Uh, by my children, actually. I think as a, as a woman, obviously the first and most important job, and I, I'm not saying anything against women that chose not to be mothers, by the way. That is entirely their personal choice. But for me personally, being a mother has been one of the most rewarding things that I have done ever. And seeing my two children successful in, and happy in their relationships and in their career is is very rewarding for me you can actually think that no matter how much i took and no matter how many times i thought oh am i am i doing the right thing leaving your children to go traveling abroad when when they are young and you have been offered a tour somewhere it's, it's that guilt that never really goes away it's um you know you you can't give them your presence a hundred percent of the time. You've got to go away, and that that was hard. So to see that they're both very well balanced and that whatever decisions I did make um, have not affected them adversely, and that they both absolutely love what I have done and say to me often, "Thank God you did the things you did. What a life we've had traveling all around everywhere." Uh, my son, when he was only little, said to me, thank goodness you took us from the north of England at a time when it was was dire at, there at that stage. It was three-day weeks and uh, people on strike and all that kind of thing. And I just decided at a very young age, I'm going to South Africa. I got offered a six-month contract and we stayed there for 18 years. And uh, it was, you know, it, it changed the course of our lives, absolutely. Mm. Oh, so, cool. yeah. Look, looking back and thinking, did I do a good job? Did I do my best? What else can we do? It can only be your best. Can't do more than that. Exactly. We all make the best decisions at the time. That's what we made them, you know, and we can always look back in retrospect and, and there's choices that we make for all of us uh, in, in the way we use our time and money, mm. money energy, resources, all of that. And um, I think you should be very, very proud of yourself. Congratulations on an outstanding career journey and, mm. um, and being the woman that you are and uh, lovely mum, you should be very, very proud. Thank you for sharing on Memoirs of Successful Women today. Thank you for having me, Annie. It's been a big pleasure. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Memoirs of Successful Women. I'm Annie Gibbons, founder and CEO of Women's Biz Global. And if you would like to fast track your future success, hop on over to womensbizglobal.com. Find out about all things Women's Biz and most importantly, take the opportunity to have a free trial of Women's Biz Tribe. I look forward to seeing you online very soon. Until next episode, bye for now.